In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. It make you nervous for me to rustle through that many pages. Hopefully not. This Sunday is the second Sunday of Eastertide, and it's known by the nickname by the insiders as Low Sunday. Now, the word low in this case probably came about as a contrast with Easter Sunday itself, which as the highest of holy days in almost every parish will be elevated in its liturgy with as much splendor and ceremony as the parish can manage. By comparison, this Sunday is often said to be low. Now, low could mean other things also, but it means them only accidentally. Many wrongly assume that it refers to attendance, which will invariably be lower, sometimes much lower than a week ago. And many assume that wrongly that this is the meaning of the nickname. It, it could refer to other things as well. It could refer to the condition of the priests. <laughs> After every ounce of exertion poured out in Holy Week, we could hardly blame our clergy if they feel a little spent and, as it were, low. That's only fair. And and it's only fair on Low Sunday to find associates or supply priests or guests to give the sermon. But this can backfire. I will, uh, hopefully not this morning. I I will not forget the Low Sunday several years ago in which the very able rector of a very lively parish invited a retired bishop to preach. That, of course, would be an honor for this parish And this was a parish, truth be told, that liked to be honored. The sermon began intriguingly. What, the bishop asked soberly, what what shall we do with the problem of Easter? (laughs) Well, he had my attention. What, What, after all, is the problem of Easter? I had always thought of Easter, silly me, as something more of a solution than a problem. So, go on. Well, it it turns out that the problem of Easter, according to the bishop, is that the Christian church has now made a pretty big deal out of an event that actually never happened. Oh dear. (laughs) Now, to be sure, there were still benighted persons, he told us, who for sentimental or superstitious reasons still believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead but it was this bishop's self-appointed duty to let us know that learned and reasonable people, people like him, still had faith in Easter, just not in the resurrection. I confess that not even by the end of that sermon was I myself learned and reasonable enough to quite understand how that worked. But it was clear that it made sense to him to believe in things that you know are not true. I was thinking that if his sermon were true, it would have been a nice morning to be down the street at a coffee shop with a croissant and a copy of the New York Times. (laughs) Well, our gospel lesson this morning is appointed for the original Low Sunday. A week following the resurrection appearances to the apostles, without Thomas, he makes his appearance to Thomas. And I think that that bishop and I had at least one thing in common. 
We would both admire Thomas as a role model, but we might take something fundamentally different away from the story. For the bishop, Thomas represented the kind of intellectual honesty and skepticism that would come of age in his own well-evolved religious faith, which no longer relied on pre-scientific credulity of ancient people. Now for me, Thomas represents something else. Thomas's reluctant affirmation of the risen Christ demonstrates that the ancients were no more inclined to believe in resurrections than we are. And he was just the most forthright of all the doubters. You remember that in Luke's Gospel, the apostles initially responded to the women's testimony, calling it an idle tale. They doubted. Even at the giving of the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel, we are told in the very presence of the risen Christ, there were some who still doubted. We will forever know Thomas as Doubting Thomas, but in fairness, I think we should know him as Honest Thomas. Not being there to see Jesus and his wounds with the rest of the disciples, he says, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my fingers into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Indeed, that last expression is emphatic in the original language. I'm happy for you all that this resurrection business is far too important to be just a matter of wish fulfillment. Now there's something about that brute honesty that St. Paul would appreciate, and indeed, he shared it. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, it is not a cruel or even rude thing to just say so and let people get over it, <laughs> building their lives on reality rather than the midst of a pre-scientific age. I know St. Paul thought that because this is what he wrote. If Christ be not raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. That's a heavy dose of honesty. You see the point, don't you? The apostle had no patience for the sentimentalizing of religion. You know that, sure, it's kind of silly, but it still means a lot to us. No. Look, if Christ has not been raised, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless, it's futile. You are wasting your life. And if our hope in Christ is only a feeling of consolation for this life only, we're fools and the most pitiable of all people. Famously, vividly, John Updike captures this same sort of all or nothing spirit of St. Paul in his famous seven stanzas at Easter. It's a poem I think some of you may know, and if you don't, you'll want to. Updike says, make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecule re-knit 
the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of eleven apostles. It was as his flesh, ours. The same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced, died, withered, paused, and then regathered out of enduring might, new strength to enclose. Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping, transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of an earlier age. Let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back, not paper mache, not a stone in a story, but the vast rock of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. And if we have an angel at the tomb, Make it a real angel, weighty with Max Planck's quanta, vivid with hair, opaque in the dawnlight, robed in real linen, spun on a definite loom. Let us not seek to make it less monstrous, for our own convenience, for our own sense of beauty, lest awakened in one unthinkable hour, we are embarrassed by the miracle crushed by remonstrance. You see, the well-intentioned attempts to save Easter on the far side of modernity leave us with an Easter that cannot save us. It was not, after all, for equinoxes or fertility cycles or blooming trees and tulips that the first witnesses to the resurrection were martyred. It was not even for the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth, which when obeyed might slowly change the world that they gave their lives. It was for the death and resurrection of God incarnate, which ruptured the old creation by the eruption of the new, by which we have forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to our Creator. It is in that death and resurrection that we die to this life and are raised into the life of the age to not for sentiment, not for a cause, not for metaphors, not even for beauty, do the first martyrs of the resurrection of Jesus renounce their earthly lives to lay hold of the resurrection life. This is why St. Paul can say that it is a pitiable thing to forsake this life for a resurrection that never happened. At that steep cost, it would be to give up everything to gain nothing. I had a friend in high school, there's no other way to say this than that he was an extremely fun person. He was not only the life of the party, his life was a party. And at one point his parents had no choice but to ground him for, I don't know, six, maybe nine months, it was a long time. <laughs> and although it was the sternest punishment anyone in our high school had ever seen, his parents actually knew what he had been up to, the sentence would have been more severe. He could not leave his house except to go to school and sports practices. 
This instantly made him my best friend. Because the parties he was no longer allowed to go to, I did not want to go to, and keeping him company was my excuse for not going. Inasmuch as I was, in a way, a very obedient teenager, but not a very brave one, this ready excuse made me seem like a pretty great guy, when in fact I was just being an introvert. So we would listen to records and talk at his house, and for six, maybe nine months, that's pretty much all we did. On occasion, maybe surprisingly, our 16-year-old discussions would range into the philosophical and religious. And since I was raised a fundamentalist and he was a Lutheran, I knew that I had a solemn responsibility to share the gospel with him. <laughs> you know, the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, which I was certain he was not being taught to at his Lutheran church. <laughs> One evening he startled me by confiding that he was a believer. In Jesus, I said, incredulously. Yeah, what else do you think I mean, idiot? He replied affectionately. Well, it's just that, well, wow, I didn't know that. That's, that's cool, man. Um, yeah, he says, the way I figure it, I believe in all that stuff, just in case it's true. You know what I mean? I got my basis covered. And so there I was, unknowingly introduced to a crude version of Pascal's wager at a young age over a Jimmy Page guitar solo. But it still didn't sound right to me. Uh, I don't know if it really works like that, I said. Why not? Well, I don't know. You know, like all your drinking and the pot smoking and everything. I don't know. It just seems like you don't really believe. To which he quickly retorted, with the coup de grace, as though well rehearsed. We're saved by faith, not by works. Well, he was paying attention. Not well, but paying attention. Well, I was relieved in the moment to know that my evangelistic responsibilities had now apparently been fulfilled. I was still left a little unsettled about what we had just agreed to. It just didn't sit right. But you know, with our underdeveloped prefrontal cortexes and Peter Frampton playing in the background, uh, I just didn't have a comeback. What I didn't say then that I, I would say now is that if Jesus has risen from the dead, then our faith is not the futility of wishful thinking, and it is most certainly not a wager against what might be true but the firm resolve to order our lives according to that truth. If Jesus has been risen from the dead, then our sins are forgiven, and we do have eternal life, but it's even better than that. If Jesus has risen from the dead, then we have already ourselves died to sin and are already risen with him to newness of life. If Jesus is risen from the dead, then we are never actually lost we are never truly alone, and we are not defined by our, the failures of our past, nor are we finally victims of what has been done to us. If Jesus has risen from the dead, then we will surely seek to consecrate every inch of our lives to the risen Lord of the universe. And if Jesus has risen from the dead, 
then every inch of our consecrated lives is imbued with meaning far beyond our comprehension. As our resurrected Lord lives in us and lives through us to will and to work his good pleasure. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Alleluia. Christ is risen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.